0: the beginning it was like dude go back to skateboarding why are you talking about this no one cares go back to skateboarding good
1: morning good afternoon good evening wonderful people of the world wherever you are and welcome back to shared ingredients i'm your host andrew pelosi and today i am joined by the legendary mikey taylor mikey is an ex-pro skateboarder turned entrepreneur and is the president of commune capital He has a lot of entertaining and informative content on the subject of investing in finance that he comes at from a self-taught sort of layman's perspective. He's certainly not a layman anymore, but I love the genuine enthusiasm that comes from him. He's totally sincere. He's not one of those guys trying to sucker you into some course. He's not a fast talker. Everything about Mikey's the real deal. By the way, subtle plug, even though we don't focus too much on skateboarding in this episode, his skateboarding content is totally iconic. Go check it out on YouTube, from his makes to his slams, the guy's a madman with style and grace. Also, thank you, Mikey, for gracing us with your fresh haircut. I asked him politely not to rock a dad hat. Sorry for my high maintenance request. Mikey's such a genuine guy with an incredible story. I'm sure you're going to like this episode. Let's get into it. Yay! I'm with my boy today, Mikey Taylor, who is beyond epic. He definitely lives up to the word legend. He's a renaissance man. He's a dad of three. He's an incredibly talented person on a skateboard, off a skateboard, and in life. He's one of the smiliest, happiest dudes with a good head of hair that I'm glad he's he's gracing us with.
0: Look. Look, good. I came to play with you. you come
1: on, dog. I <laughs> I don't know how much you're paying for your haircuts, but like I was like, this guy, man, he's
0: wearing he's wearing the dad hats. That's all good. You're you're a good dad of three, but like you gotta show that head of hair off, man. Look, I'm ready. I'm ready, and I I only show up I only show up my best for my guy. You I like I it. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm stoked to be here, brother. Thank you for the intro. <laughs> you need to start coming with me wherever I go. <laughs> that was a hot one. I'm not that cool, but I sounded really good. Thank you.
1: I'm happy to be your hype man. And, uh, we'll work out the terms. So oh, I'll email you good. about that after For anybody who does not know Mikey's story, Mikey started his career as a fantastic skateboarder. Mikey, let's start with the chapter of skateboarding all the way through your injury and where you are now. And then we will pick things up to, to
0: present day. Okay. Uh, man, picked up a skateboard when I was like 13 because I saw one of my friends skating and I thought it was cool. Uh, become an, it became an obsession of mine really quickly. Uh, and that turned into me trying to figure out how to not stop skateboarding. And it was kind of at that age of 17, 18, my parents wanted me to get a job, get ready for college. Uh, and that meant I was going to have to stop and I didn't want to. So I figured out how to get sponsors to give me free stuff and then start paying me. And that kind of ended up, you know, turning into a full blown career, which was like a dream come true. Uh, and then as I was skating, the Concern of like how long can I do this and what am I going to do after? Uh, I started becoming worried with that, and so my idea was if I can create companies uh, and help build them while I'm influential as a skater, well, when I'm no longer a skater, I get to carry on and everything I was able to build in that kind of hot moment. And so that is what started the entrepreneurial journey of uh, me creating business, uh, and then my skate career ended. I uh, wasn't prepared for emotionally what that was going to be like, worked through a lot of insecurities, et cetera. And then that kind of brought me to my newest company, uh, which is in private equity. Somehow made myself into the world of raising capital and using, uh, you know, dollars to deploy into opportunity in real estate.
1: Very cool. So going back to a couple of things there, as far as like the path that you were on, you know, obviously you're crazy talented. And so it's funny to hear you say that basically you wanted to find a way to get sponsors and then have them pay you. Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like they kind of found you too because of your talent. Like, it's a funny way you tell the story because I think about it like, well, wait a minute, wait, huh? Like, did it really come down? Am I hearing you correct? That it was basically like, Mikey, you need to go to college or make this work for you. And then that's how you made it work for you?
0: Yeah. So basically like, uh, like truthfully, I had no desire to be a pro skateboarder at all. I was like the type who was just all I wanted to do was skate. And my option that I was looking at is get sponsored and become a pro. That, that was the only kind of alternative that I thought was available so that I could skate longer. Uh, and dude, I come from a small city, a small city in Newbury Park. Like I didn't have access to the industry so like me trying to figure out how to get sponsors to pay me or before that even give me free products, dude, I convinced one of the kids in our neighborhood who had a video camera to film me, make a two minute video. You know, I did 40 or 50 copies on like a VHS and then sent it out to sponsors. And even like going through the process of figuring out like where to even get the address to send sponsors, just looking through the magazine and every once in a while, uh, you know, a company would have an ad and they would put their address at the bottom. I didn't care the company. Whoever had an address, my video was going to. So it was like, just like, you know, hail Mary. Like, let's just see what happens. I sent video, 50 videos out. I didn't get one call back, not one. So it was like, okay, crap. I got to do this again. So I made a new video. I sent it out to another 50 and then I got three calls. And that's kind of what started the, the, the journey for me. Wow. So around what year is this? Oh, this is this is around 2000, 2000, 2001. Uh, and like, dude, the first companies that called me, it was like Duff Shoes. And it wasn't like Duff Shoes, like early nineties. It was like tail end of Duffs. Venture Trucks, which was like, that was a, a big one. And then Maple Skateboards. And it was tail end of Maple as well. So it was like, it's not like girl was calling me, you know? Wow. and And so was city stars one of the first big ones? Like what was the city stars came after actually. So it started maple venture duffs. Uh, Then I ended up getting sponsored by Santa Cruz. And this is like, dude, no ads. uh, Just these dudes are sponsoring me. And then Paul, who was my friend growing up, got sponsored by city stars. Heath Brinkley was filming Paul and I was always with Paul. So Heath basically was like, why don't you write for city stars? And he asked me that like 40 times. And then eventually like, you know, my friend Justin wrote for them and I had all these friends and started writing for him. It's like, okay, cool. Let's do this. And that was like, actually one of the big, biggest turning points in my career. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it took some convincing there. That's great. So
1: basically you, were you on the college track or not on the college track? Like how, how big of a transition
0: was that with your parents? So I was, I was going to be all in on the college track. Like I, I grew up with the idea that it, that you had to go to college. And if you didn't go to college, success wasn't really an option for you. Now, now I know that's not true, but I I all the way believed it. And so by not going to college, dude, I was concerned. Also, my parents were terrified. Like they were not stoked. Uh, You know, a few years went by, they, they became more comfortable with it. But in the beginning, no, it was like, this is a big change up.
1: Yeah. And at what point, I know you're humble, but at what point did you realize like, okay, I'm, I'm actually like, this is a real thing. I'm, I'm a name now in this industry. I mean, how long did that take?
0: Uh, it, it was when, uh, I had a part in trans world video in, in bloom and gosh, I can't remember the year. What was that? 2002, 2003, maybe. Uh, that's when I was like, Holy crap. I made it like to have a part in trans world was gnarly. And, and when, uh, who called me, John Holland called me and asked me, I was like, this is unreal. Like, I can't, i made it like that was a big staple having your own shoe must have been nice a few years later too that was the next one yeah but there was something about the transal videos like dude I grew up on the reason and modus and like feedback like those were on repeat and like dude the people in that that was arto rally muska like stevie will like this is a big deal and all of a sudden I'm in that video it was like this that was like I, I made it right Uh, getting a pro shoe was, uh, that was just something that like most don't get. And, you know, when you have it, it's like, I think the highest accomplishment is pro skateboarder. So yeah, dude, that was like another
1: one. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so for those listening, we'll spare you nerding out on skate talk for too long, being that this is not a skate podcast per se, but I'm a lifelong skateboarder and big fan of the culture. And I will say that, um, You know, Mikey definitely stood out for anyone listening. You know, the era that we grew up in was not the social media era. People would wait and put out video parts. We couldn't consume and discover creators, talent, Mm -hmm. athletes by just picking up our phone. We had to wait. So when Mikey talks about the trans world part, that's a big deal. We waited for VHS tapes to come out. It would take years to make these things. And that's how you would be discovered. That's how I found out who Mikey was. And it's funny. we're, We're good friends now. But I started out, I mean, I'm still a fan of you as a human and a skateboarder, but, you know, I started out as a fan like so many others did. I appreciate the gratitude you have here because there's a lot of hometown heroes who are great and never have that shot. And they, don't, they didn't have that sort of foresight to send out videos of themselves. So let's talk about that. I think um, the Sponsor Me skateboard video analogy mm. for anyone listening is, is something that I would consider a really interesting skill in life of how to present yourself. Mm-hmm. It's much it, it's kind of like setting your sa- setting your expectations or your vision of where you want to be with a job and you're putting yourself forward in a more creative way. So it's a, it's it's in essence like a video resume but a lot cooler. Creating sponsorship tapes in skateboarding is coming up with the ultimate way of branding yourself in the mm-hmm. world. It's a style thing, it's not raw skill, it's what you want to put out. Can you talk about how a sponsor me tape translates to other things in life, like starting a, a venture capital firm or something like that?
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. I can't remember what interview it was on. But like, right as I started transitioning out of skateboarding, it's like four and a half years ago, right? I'm doing this interview. And someone's like, when did you realize you were you were an entrepreneur? And I was like, honestly, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was for like, a year prior to that. Like, even when we started our first companies, like we didn't think we were entrepreneurs, we just thought we started a business. And on the interview, I'm telling my story and I was like, yeah, so, you know, I I made these videos and like, I figured out who to send them to and told them that whole process. Right. And he looked at me and goes, that's pretty entrepreneurial, dude. I'm like, is it? And then that mixed with in the beginning, they were just giving me free product and my parents were on me about getting a job. So like I looked at it as I get free product, I could use some of the product, I could sell it to my friends, I could make some money. And he's like, that was the first indicator of you being entrepreneur. I just didn't know. So I think kind of what that means is like anybody who can figure out what they want to do and can go out and create it, uh, that applies with anything because that's all it is, right? It's like video parts is like, okay, you know, now moving forward into my career, my whole career is based around video parts, right? So if you think about it, you conceptually come up with all the tricks you want to do. You have an idea of where you're going to do them or how it's going to look. You're thinking about the music that's going to be involved. And you go through this, how do I take the idea in my head and make it a reality, right? Same thing applies to business. When you come up with an idea, which a lot of people do, the challenge people have is how do I act on that idea and create something out of it? I think skaters, truthfully, are, uh, can be the best entrepreneurs. This is all we do. Come up with an idea, bring it to reality. Uh, so I think that was probably the biggest for me,
1: come up with an idea, bring it to reality and fall a thousand times in the process and break bones.
0: That's the other thing. The, the, the view of failure is very different for a pro skateboarder or not even pro skateboarder for a skateboarder in general, like falling. The act of failure is consistent for us. So skaters don't really fear the idea of failure. Failure is just part of the process for whatever they want to accomplish. Yeah. That applies. That applies to life for sure.
1: Yeah, my uh, favorite Tommy Guerrero quote, which I consider like a life lesson that I like to live by, is he basically says that people come up to him often and say, Man, you're super lucky. And he says, No, I'm not lucky. I'm fortunate yeah. because it's not lucky to fall on the concrete and throw yourself down that many times and get back up. It's fortunate, meaning it's fortunate that he found a passion, he pursued it, but a lot of hard work was involved to get there. Yeah. I assume
0: you share that sentiment. It's such a, such a well-said quote.
1: Yeah. Really. Yeah. Good. It's funny because I found, and, and it's like translated to our life and I, I use that in life with my wife, Lydia, like we found ourselves using the word lucky a lot mm. and, you know, just be, you know, blessed, whatever the synonym is where you'd say, you know, we have two wonderful children. We're happy. We have a roof over our head. Um, yes. We're blessed. We're fortunate. We're all these things. But a lot went into that. Like a lot of work went into that. We weren't given these things, uh, you know, given the the gift of children. But I'm saying, okay. um, I really do like the distinction between the words lucky and fortunate.
0: I agree. Totally agree. Yep. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So you had an incredible run skateboarding. You had your own shoe. You had incredible sponsors. You built a, a fan base with loyalty. And you had the foresight to know that building brands and continuing your legacy outside of skating was important. But it also seems like you had a pretty catastrophic, surprising ending to this. Would that be the case?
0: Yes, (laughs) that was the case, Uh, unfortunately. But yeah, basically, like when I was young, I I had this idea of positioning myself to be in a better place, right? But it was all financially focused. It was like, how do I get my money right? How do I take control away from sponsor and put it into my hands, right? Uh, what I didn't put much effort towards was the emotional challenge that was going to come when my career ended. That was like, I wasn't even thinking about it. I thought if I have my money, right, I'm good. And so basically what happened was uh, I tore a ligament in my leg and I was skating through it. I was skating through it for about a year. And it was painful, but I was dealing with it. And I was 34 at this time. So, you know, I was just thinking about it. Like, dude, should I like talk to my sponsors and like fix this thing? And then like, you know, be able to enjoy however many years I have left. Or should I just, you know, push through the pain? Call my sponsors, DC being my main one, sponsor being for shoes and clothes. And I was like, guys, what do you think? Like, should I fix this thing in two years? That's when my deal ends or should I fix it now? I'm going to be out six months. I'm going to skate a year and a half and just love it. And they were like, no, dude, fix it. Like all good. Six months. I'm like, right. Cool. Have surgery. They call me the next month, find a loophole. My deal ended. And so, you know, I'm laying on the couch. I can't even walk at this point. And when you have surgery, especially as an athlete, uh, you're already working through a mental war. The physical part, the physical healing is the easy part. It's, it's mentally staying sharp and not letting yourself go to the abyss. And and accepting that it's over, you'll never be back to once, what you once were, et cetera. And so, in the middle of that battle, everything ends for me. And you know, talking about my journey of owning everything, <laughs> the shoe component was the last kind of piece to the puzzle. I had already created a. I we had already started Saint Archer, so I had the beverage component dialed. I started Sovereign, which was skateboards. We were starting to build apparel. So I I almost had those three categories and then DC, which was technically shoes and clothes was my big paying item. Well, when DC dropped me, sovereign wasn't at the point of being able to really pay me. I was, I was in the process of building it, uh, St. Archer, we just sold. So there's no revenue coming in there. And so basically revenue goes away overnight. And so, uh, you know, I had to make a decision. And, you know, for me personally, and I think most people feel this way, we have an idea that things are going to work out according to how we want them to work out. It's going to be done in our time. And so I had this idea that I was going to skate to 36, 37. My sponsors were going to call me and go, hey, dude, thank you for everything. We're going to do a going away party. You're going to have a, like a video part to end it. Thank you. You're awesome. Say right. I thought that's what it was going to be like. Uh, it was a phone call. It ended in 30 seconds. And so coming to terms with that and my career is over was the first part, uh, you know, realizing that I had a lot of my identity baked into my career and going through kind of a depression moment of it, uh, feeling like I didn't know what up was just, dude, it, it was a dark point in my life and I dude, And I achieved the financial aspect. I, I was in a position where I got to choose what I wanted to do. That, that is a huge blessing, still the hardest thing I ever went through. Right. And I remember Steve Barra, like right when this happened, he calls me and he's like, Hey dude, how you doing? And I'm like, not good. <laughs> and he was like, look, I just want to tell you that you are going to look back at this moment and be so thankful for it because this is going to be the fork in the road. And you are going to make the decision on, are you going to be stuck here? Or are you going to push through this? And if you push through it, which I know you're going to, It is going to put you in a trajectory that you never experienced before. And you'll look back at this moment, be thankful. And I remember hearing him say that. I was like, pissed that he said it. I was like, dude, what? That's so whack that you said that, right? He was spot on. And basically to kind of, you know, bring, you know, two years into 60 seconds. It was the most painful moment of my life. It was the most challenging moment of my life. And being forced to push through the difficulty Brought so much growth, so much clarity, and almost this new love for myself. I know that sounds weird, but like it put me in a position to like actually enjoy what I was going to do. And now I look back at that moment and dude, I'm thankful DC ended it the way they did. I'm thankful that I was, I was forced to figure this out because if I wasn't forced, uh, I probably would have tried to have one foot in one foot out for a long time.
1: Wow. Thank you for that. And I i mean, I, I have so many things to say, and I don't want to go deep in the rabbit hole, but I would just say, I appreciate your perspective. And that's uh, really a, a great lesson for all of us in resilience. Mm. As far as, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a strange question, but you're thankful for that experience. You often hear people say like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Of course yeah. you wouldn't have traded skating. How much do you think that that Abrupt ending versus the fairy tale final video part. Thank you for your service. Would have changed where you are now. So if it had gone the other way, do you feel like you wouldn't be thriving the same way you are now? I mean, I I guess it's like I know that there's silver lining, and you found the silver lining. But hypothetically speaking, like how much do you think it's a good thing that people have to experience downtimes like that or or, or abrupt changes?
0: Such a great, such a good question. Well, with skaters, we have a, like, (laughs) we want to be pro skaters as long as we possibly can. And at the same time, the longer you're a pro skateboarder, the harder it is to transition. And so, you know, you, you see a lot of guys make it to their late thirties, even some in their early forties. And they get to a point where it's like, what the hell do I do now? Right. And, and you see this difficulty in staying in skating, trying to figure something else out and the time frame on reinventing yourself into the next thing, dude, in a lot of cases, five to 10 years. Uh, what I experienced was it was much shorter than that because I was forced to do it. Uh, and I'm glad that was the case because I would have been, I would have gone down that same path. It would have been, do I want to let this go? This is comfortable. I know what I'm doing here. People, some people love me here. Now we get into the ego that enjoyment, uh, yeah. For me, it was better. It was better to be abrupt. You know. Now, would I be doing the same thing I'm doing now? I don't know. It's too hard to tell. Uh, but I know the the idea for this company came because of the abruption of my career ending.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk about commune and everything you're doing now shortly here. But um, going back to that idea of reinvention, I think that that's a common theme that. I like, I love the idea of reinvention in the sense that it really gives people the hope and motivation to know that you're not set in one career path per se. You don't have to follow a traditional path, but tell me more about that thought that you just said there of five to 10 years, as far as being like the reinvention window. Is that, is that, am I hearing that correctly?
0: Yeah. So basically like, you know, if you're, it, if you break it down to what we all need, right? We all need identity. Why are we here? We all need purpose. Sorry, identity. Who are we? Purpose. Why are we here? Without answering those two questions, we have no idea if we're doing the thing we're meant to do, and if we're doing that thing well, right? Uh, for example, we know if a if a if a cup that you know drinking cup, if the cup's holding water, it's living its purpose. If it's not. not living its purpose but if we didn't know what the purpose of the cup was you can't decide if it's doing it well or not with skaters dude that is our identity and our purpose this is who we are i'm mikey taylor the pro skateboarder when people see me dude your in bloom part was so good your skate more part was so good right that's my identity the purpose my job is to do this create these video parts go to these contests right when, when there's, when the skate career ends, it's really hard to figure out what that new identity and new purpose is. And a lot of times these insecurities come about that you weren't really aware of them being there. I wasn't. And so a lot of times we don't answer those first two questions and then we're still stuck in this, why I'm a pro skateboarder and this feels good. And I want people to praise me. It makes it really hard to go, uh, into an obscure field that no one knows who you are. You're you're dealing with ego there. And that's, it's just not easy to address. And then on top of that, like, dude, we become pro skateboarders at a young age. This is 18, sometimes earlier than that. And our skill set feels like it's very specific to skateboarding. So then if we leave skateboarding at 37, 38, 41, 42, it's a little bit hard to figure out how to even apply these skills into the real world. And then you go through this, like, I, I can't do it. Like, I'm I'm not equipped to compete with the people that have been in this space since, you know, they got out of college. And it just makes it hard.
1: Yep. So getting into reinvention, you're definitely like a serial entrepreneur. You've done all these things. You built brands when you were in your skating uh, heyday. And then you tell the St. Archer story a little bit. I think a lot of people know about that. And I think it's, a you know, there, there are a lot of St. Archer drinkers in the, in the, uh, audience here. So tell the St. Archer story and then we'll get all into everything you're doing now.
0: Okay. So, uh, I started, uh, a business with two of my closest friends. Uh, one of them for all the skaters listening was Paul Rodriguez. Uh, the other one was Josh Landon. Uh, and Josh came from originally the surf industry. He was a surf filmmaker. Uh, and then he moved into management is managing surfers, snowboarders, and a handful of skaters. And uh, we were down filming a skate video together. And, you know, we just randomly started talking about business. And that conversation led to like, us coming up with crazy ideas. And he threw out the idea, like, why don't we do a brewery? And, you know, it was at the point where my wife was really on me about like, what was next? Right? Like, I don't know, six months prior to that, my wife was like, hey, you need to start thinking about like starting a business or what your life is going to look like after skateboarding. And so anytime people would talk about a business, I'd be all in. Okay, we got to do this. This is going to be my plan B, et cetera. And so that same energy kind of transferred over when Josh threw out like, let's do a brewery. I was like, let's do it. Like screw this, this skate film. Let's go do this thing tomorrow. So we abandoned the film. We were in San Diego filming. We started driving home, which was Thousand Oaks. And Josh goes, why don't you call your boy P-Rod? Like P-Rod owns business. He's an investor. Like, let's pitch him our idea. And we were like, dude, I called Paul right there on the spot. We met him at Canaan, uh, the Starbucks off Canaan, and pitched him on the idea we had the night before. And he was like, I'm in. Let's do this. And so that was like the beginning of us trying to figure out what that meant. Uh, It took us about a year of doing due diligence, uh, building out a plan, probably another seven months until we got to the point of launching it. And then we started St. Archer. And it was one of those Cinderella stories in some regard where uh, we had created demand for it before we even opened doors and the demand never went away. So, you know, from the second of us creating it, it was, we need more. We need more money. <laughs> we we need a larger system. We need to produce more beer. How do we do this? And so we did three and a half years of trying to capture demand or catch up to it. Uh, and then we ended up selling it uh, to Miller Coors, about three and a half years later. So uh, it was a crazy experience, man. It was freaking wild.
1: So St. Arch was incredible. And then before we get to Commune and everything, were there companies that came after that? So the the, uh, the um, coconut water company, et cetera, are those still the same crew or not really? And I'll cut this if not, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, so my partner, Josh, uh, after we sold St. Archer, uh, started Villager, uh, which I was an investor in, and my next business was Commune. So. Uh, Josh is, dude. I, I mean, he's talented in a lot of regards, but in beverage, he understands it. So uh, he started Villager, and then started, I think, like five other companies from there. Company Harland, Company Ashland, and then I focused on real estate. So we took two different paths. Um, and then I've invested in. Uh, I, I'm an investor of his, so I don't. I don't have anything to do with the company.
1: Cool. So for those listening, we're going to get into what Mikey's doing now, which is super impressive. I want to preface this by saying Mikey's passion for life, his resilience, and his enthusiasm is in many ways what I would attribute to his success. He goes all in on being the expert at something, trying until he gets it, building a community around him. So currently, he is running a company called Commune Capital. And tell us what Commune Capital does.
0: Okay, so... Uh... So funny, man. I'm going to answer this very loosely in the beginning, but uh, there's a lot of people that follow me that don't totally understand what I'm doing. So (laughs) I think I need to do a better job explaining it. But uh, basically we're a private equity real estate firm. We we manage three different portfolios, uh, a lending portfolio, a storage portfolio, and a multifamily apartment portfolio. And uh, basically what that means is We go out and raise capital uh, from investors, and then we then take that capital to deploy in opportunities in those three different asset classes. And then uh, based on performance, we then give a return back to investors when done right. And then we get to participate in that return as well at kind of the, you know, uh, an oversimplified uh, process. Uh, And then the other component of our business is uh, just creating content around financial literacy. And that was something, at least in my story, that was very impactful is I had somebody come into my life that taught me about money, helped me create the discipline, and then also provided opportunity for me to partner with him on deals. Uh, And so basically, the idea of commune was how do I replicate what he did in my life to as many people as possible? So we're really heavy on social media to try to educate and empower. And then uh, we allow people to partner in deals that we have our money in.
1: That's great. Yeah, I feel like uh it, it's it's very cool to see how well you've engaged a community and sort of transitioned people who were fans of you from your personality and skating and whatever else to now looking to you for financial literacy advice and whatever else. What uh it's a strange question to ask but when I look at I remember joking with you like 2 years ago when you were just getting onto TikTok or maybe it was even longer ago yes. that like that's where all the kids were and I was like man this guy's on TikTok and and yet you you're doing it like Talk to me about the importance of branding content, but more so like inspiring the youth. And I don't want to put mm-hmm. words in your mouth, but it mm-hmm. seems to me like you're in an industry and I'm not talking about skateboarding now and real estate investment venture um, that you're in an industry that that's a little bit older mm-hmm. and definitely not as uh, prevalent on social media or as fun on social media. So tell me like why that's important to you is, is kind of reaching the youth for financial literacy just talk to me about more about that.
0: Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to have you make sure I don't go on too many tangents here. But basically, the reason for it at the beginning was I got to experience when my career ended the blessing of managing money responsibly. And I looked around and saw a lot of people in my life not have that type of guidance. And then their life was impacted in a, in a totally different way than mine was. So I saw the importance of it. And I also recognize that like this stuff wasn't being taught. Like Even my experience in school, like, I thought I was going to school to, make, to learn how to make money. I was going to learn some type of skill to then go out and to apply so that I get to make money. I didn't learn that. I didn't learn how to make money. I didn't learn what money was. As far as a financial aspect, nothing. And so it, in the beginning, it was just like, okay, I need to do this. There's a void here. I started doing it on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, the platforms that I had already built the challenge that I faced was I had built up a pretty sizable following, but everybody followed me to be a pro skateboarder and money was something that, you know, most people don't talk about. You definitely don't talk about that in skateboarding. So dude, it was tough, man. It was like, uh, people weren't into it. People didn't understand it. It was probably 95% hate 5% like, Hey, yeah, this is cool. And I was just like, dude, I'm just going to power through it. Like, I know this is important, I'm just going to keep taking it on the chin and just, you know, stay with it. And I remember like two years into it, I saw a uh, drama, uh, Rob Dyrdek's cousin. And he came up to me and he's like, dog, I just got to tell you, man, I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't know how you stay doing this. Like, I'm just watching you take a beating and man, this is impressive. Right. It was not easy. And then it slowly started to see, you know, 95% hate, 80% hate, 60% hate. And and now I'm getting close to a point where there's more people paying attention than hating. Uh but when TikTok came around, kind of two things that that grabbed my attention that I was really interested in. One, it was the first platform that was uh growing rapidly that I could get on and not have to transition my following. I could start from scratch. So I love that. The second thing is it's where the kids were. And so with finance the challenge you have is like dude, when you're 14 like you're not talking about money. Money's just not a concern. And so people are registering or resonating with our company, usually 25 to 34. And it's typically at a point where you're forced to figure it out. And so I know if you can learn about money when you're younger, your experience in your twenties, thirties, and then, you know, extending out is going to be totally different than everyone else. So how do you make the impact on the youth? So I looked at TikTok as being an opportunity for that. Uh, and dude, it's, it, it's happening. It's like, you know, the, for Instagram, it took me, I don't know, five years to get to 500,000 followers. Uh, I'm almost at 400,000 followers on TikTok. It's been a year. It, the growth that's happening is just rapid and they are following me for financial literacy. It's like every once in a while I'll get a comment from a kid and it's like, does anybody here in the comments know that Mikey was a pro skateboarder? It's just a, a different thing. So, uh, uh I'm using it and I think it's important, man. I think it's life-changing. Then you look at like, the percentage of people that get divorced, which is too high. The number one reason is finance. It's it's the most emotional triggering thing we have in our lives. And if you don't understand it, have a good relationship with it, et cetera, dude, you're in a position where you may fail. And so I, I see a huge value in it.
1: It's impressive to see how resilient you are. I, I love the drama anecdote that you gave of just taking it on the chin for like two <laughs> years. So It's funny to hear. I mean, like you have, you got such a fan base. So what were these haters all about? Like stick to skating, Mikey, like don't tell us about this. Like give me an example of what the hate was all about.
0: You know, it's all over the board. Like, yeah. In the beginning it was like, dude, go back to skateboarding. Why are you talking about this? No one cares. Go back to skateboarding. And, and now it's, it's kind of taken on a different approach. But the one thing I notice is when I talk about something, there's a principle involved, right? No one ever, no one ever argues the principle. They just argue that you shouldn't be talking about this, you know? So I usually just respond like, Hey, look, dude, I'm all for you having a conversation about what I'm saying being wrong. Like that's, I, I would love that. But like, you're not even talking about what I'm saying. You're just saying like, dude, what you think you're a financial advisor now? Like, you know, uh, and then I think the other thing too, is like, when you talk about money getting money to work, participating in opportunity, uh, people that don't understand that think that they're not able to participate in it. So there's this barrier that has to be broken. And dude, our culture does a very bad job at this. Our school does a very bad job at it. We don't show people that it's possible. People come in thinking it will never be possible for them. And if you come in thinking, I don't get to participate in this, well, then you don't. So you're having to like break through all this, like, almost like self-limiting belief because they have to think it's possible first. Then you can start talking about, you know, the the tools that you can use to get there. But if you talk about the tools and you don't think it's possible, then it's, re- re- it's irrelevant what I'm saying. Does that make I sense? Love,
1: yeah, I love that concept. It reminds me of kind of looking at everything you achieved in skateboarding, where you have to believe you can do something because if you can't, then it's definitely not happening.
0: That's right. The biggest one, the biggest one, uh, the last time I got gnarly pushback, uh, and I guess it happens every time whenever I talk about taxes, right? Huge, huge pushback. And you have, uh, you have people that think that if you are participating in any type of tax incentive, then you're a crook, right? It's like the, you look at like, you know, the, everybody uses the, the example of Jeff Bezos, right? He owns, you know, billions and he doesn't pay taxes, And what I talk about is the tax code and why it was created. And ultimately, you know, the largest percentage of the tax code is incentives. It's 95% is incentives, right? Only 5% of it's there to raise revenue. So if the purpose is incentive and the government ultimately has the tax code to lead you in a map to put dollars in areas that they want dollars in to either stimulate the economy, build more homes, et cetera, why not use it, right? But whenever you talk about that, you get a, a a big blowback of it's not fair. You're stealing money. Uh, look, I don't want to pay taxes. That's I'll be totally honest with you. When I make money, it's hard to make money, and I want to keep as much of it. That's it. But if the government's gonna say, "Hey, dude, will you please put dollars here? You can keep more of it." Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Uh, but there's a social component to it, and uh, it, it's becoming controversial. So uh, there's that involved.
1: Yeah. I think it's really interesting when I think about going back to the idea of this transition from having a following base for doing one thing and now amassing a new fan base for doing something else. I think that one of the unique things that you've done is had the confidence to put your journey out there. Mm. Clearly, you've learned a lot about finance and real estate, but you didn't start, nor did you claim to be an expert. Do you Mm. feel like that was a challenge in terms of why you got haters saying, why are you a claiming to be a financial expert now?
0: I, I think there's a component of it for sure. Uh, and I think it's a lot of things like, dude, I think one, like money is like what we we're talking about. Earlier, money's emotional. Like most people don't like talking about money. So if you talk about it uh, you have the perception that you're money hungry. Right. Uh, I, I see that a lot. Like uh, I, I did a video, not that long ago talking about, uh, you know, being wealthy or the journey to be wealthy is better than the journey of trying to look wealthy or, or the idea of actually being it, not looking it. And somebody left a comment like, dude, this is like so hypocritical coming from you who your all of your content is based around money. Right. But it's the idea that like, if you talk about money, that's wrong because you're money hungry, regardless if you're talking about money management and how to manage it correctly. Right. Money is just something that is just hard to deal with. Like, dude, even you go back to the Bible, right. They talk about money more than anything in there. It's one of those things that just is difficult to work with, right? Money is the love of money is a route to all types of evil, right? It's true. It highlights who you are in a good or bad way. And so it's just a hard thing to talk about in general.
1: So much of your content is breaking down the stigma of money, yes, right? Yes, it's the idea yes. that. It doesn't have to be that you're bling bling. I mean, you're, you're, you're actually trying to help people and this is your vocation now. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a legitimate thing.
0: And and you know what I think too, like you gotta, like, one of the coolest things that happens to me now is I'll get messages from people and they're dude, they're totally honest. Like, Hey dude, I just want to let you know when you were doing this, I thought it was so whack. Like, why is this dude talking about money? Like, you know, and like some, I unfollowed you and then like a piece of your content popped up and I like annoyingly watched it. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And fast forward to three months, I watch your content religiously. I'm so thankful for it now, right? So I think like one, there was a purpose behind why I was doing it. And I had to, I had to be uh, okay knowing that I was gonna have to break through a lot of scar tissue in a sense. And that wasn't going to be pretty. And a lot of that was going to be reflected on me. But it's kind of the idea that, you know, when you say something and it triggers a response, maybe an emotional one, it rarely has something to do with you. And it's more about the person that's that's going off, right? That's how money is, man. So like, I'm just trying to have like a, you know, have grace and and, and I think compassion on people and their challenges so that when they're attacking me, dude, I know it's not about me. I know it's about something that happened with them financially that was negative or it hurt. And so having that lens on it, I think helps me look at that as an opportunity as opposed to they're attacking me and I need to attack back. And so it's just helped in my responses, you know, like somebody comes after me. It's like, Hey dude, why do you feel that way? Like was there something that happened in which you look at money as evil and how could we work through that? And you know, just trying to add value regardless if the person wants me to or not, you know? Uh, the other thing too, man, like, yeah, like I think people struggle with the idea of like, why are you talking about money? Are you an expert? Like, do, are you like, I get all the time. Do you have your license? Are you actually a financial advisor? No, I'm not no desire to be, uh, but it's like, I know what I know and I want to pass that on to people. And then you could either take it as value or you can't, but that's your choice, not mine. And I'm just going to focus on basically putting out truth.
1: Yeah. What do you think of that concept of people getting tripped up by the idea of like imposter syndrome? I feel like it probably holds people back from sharing their own stuff. I love what you just said there. You might not, not have some, some form of like, yeah, exactly. License yeah. or credentials, yeah. but you're telling your story. What do you think about that as far as advice you would give to others who want to talk about something or be known for something that they might not be a complete expert in based on a degree or a certification?
0: You know what some someone I follow on TikTok which is amazing uh, his name's the layman investor right and he basically documents his whole journey on becoming financially literate and so it was like hey dude I know nothing I I just read this book this is what I learned and it was all just like talking about this process of learning people resonate with that more than anything right they they want to go along your journey uh, and, and I think the other thing too, is we think an authority is just talking like I know, and you don't, but just creating content when you think of it puts you in a position where people go, ah, he's a creator, not a consumer. And there's actually a component of, I'm going to follow to listen to what you have to say. So the imposter syndrome is look, if you, if you're fully faking it, like, yeah, you should feel that. But like the other side of it is usually our insecurities are going to, you know, drive us towards you're an imposter. That doesn't necessarily mean our our feeling is reality. And so, uh, dude, ask for guidance on that. Call up your friend, your closest friend. Just go, hey, dude, do I come off this way? Like, what do you think? Like, you know, is there? A, do you feel like I am in a position to talk about this, etc.? And, dude, start building it out.
1: Yeah, totally. When it comes to asking your friends for advice, make sure
0: they're a friend that you can ask. Though, look, yeah. <laughs> Having friends as you start doing different things, they're typically going to be the ones who discourage you the most. So make sure it's some, actually, you know what? I'm going to to take back what I said. Don't even talk to a friend. You got to get a mentor or somebody doing it at a level that you're trying to get to ask their opinion because they're not going to hate on you. They're just going to tell you, this is what you got to do. Keep doing it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. I was going to ask him. I I know you've had some great loyal friends who you've kept through skateboarding and everything else in your life, but do you feel like you're, the groups of people you surround yourself with have changed through your different life chapters, given what you're doing.
0: Yes. The answer is yes. I've had a lot of, look, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, this idea that some friends are meant for seasons, right? Like uh, right now, my wife's going through young kids and there's certain people in her life that might only be there at the childhood stage. And that might have been the perfect friendship for that moment. Then you have other friends that might be there for a lifetime for skaters. You might have friends that were supposed to be in your life while you were skating and maybe they're not lifetime friends and that's okay. And for me, that's what happened. I had friends that were there in the beginning. Uh, I had some friends that have been here the whole time. I have friends that left when I started doing this and I've created new friends since doing this. Uh, that's just, that, that that's how life goes, you know? Yeah,
1: totally. So for this last section, I just want to get into, you know, you're you're a super hyped up guy. Let's talk about advice for the up and comers. If somebody wants to, we'll start, we'll start specific and then we'll get general. Okay. For younger kids who you're influencing on social, who are looking at financial literacy from ages 14 on, Mm. what's the simplest advice you could give them? And I know it's a very broad question. So if I need to hone it in, let me know.
0: I would say probably the best advice I could give them is we have this idea that we have to have a lot of money before we figure out what to do with it. Uh, the most powerful component is discipline. And it's the idea that you learn to be responsible with little before you can be responsible with a lot. That is so, so powerful. So when you're in the stage of getting started and maybe you're only making you know the bare minimum, that is the very best time to create the discipline. Save a certain percentage of every check. Create that discipline. As you start making more money, don't increase lifestyle. All of that. The foundation is the most important part. So that is something you can start early. And like anything, man, the longer that discipline goes, the more powerful it becomes when you start really doing numbers. Uh, so starting young.
1: That's great. And putting out, you, you've put out so many specific sort of hypotheticals for people to think about about savings, etc. What is something? that you think that people won't believe to be true that that probably is true for them?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I think most people look at something like financial independence as being not possible for them. Uh, But actually, when you look at the two demographics of the most successful investors, a lot of times it's teachers, believe it or not. Teachers don't make a crazy amount of money but they are disciplined with how much they put towards their let's call it retirement or future. And they just don't pay attention. It's just, yep. Consistency, right? The other guy is the person who's doing a ton of due diligence, right? Knows everything happening with maybe a business that he's going to invest in, right? Everyone in the middle has a really hard time. Uh, so it is possible for you would be one two. just because somebody makes money doesn't mean they're good with money. That, that is probably the most important thing I learned moving into this journey I know a lot of people that are making one, two, three, four million bucks a year. They're terrible with money, terrible with it. Then I know people making 60 grand a year and they are crushing it. And the person making 60 grand a year is actually going to have a better outcome than the person making 3 million because their discipline's created and theirs isn't. So don't get hung up on the number. It, it's all about consistency and discipline.
1: Fantastic advice. Appreciate it. So as we wrap, tell me, tell, tell people where they can find you, tell them anything you want, uh, as far as what, what you may be able to offer them promote yourself, please.
0: Okay. Uh, so if you go to any social platform, you can find me just put in my name, Mikey Taylor. I'm going to come up. Uh, I'm the most active on TikTok. Uh, I'd recommend getting on there. It's my favorite platform right now. And also on my Instagram, I have a number that you can text and I have this, this group that's it's getting pretty large and we do a uh, Monday morning motivational text every Monday morning, nine o'clock. So if you want to be involved in that, please join. Uh, I spend 25 minutes a day responding to as many people as possible personally. And uh, I love that aspect of social as well. Uh, And then if you're, if you are interested in learning about investing or looking for opportunity, our company is commune capital uh communecapital.com you can take your you you can go through our site see the deals we're involved in you could apply to invest with us etc so we'd welcome that as well
1: awesome mikey you're a legend you're a great human you're talented i really appreciate you being on this i hope that you all enjoyed this as much as we did check him out flood him with questions he'll answer and uh thank you man i appreciate you (laughs) dog you too dude have a great day and i will talk to you soon thank you Hi, G,
0: I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Be sure to go check out Mikey Taylor at Mikey Taylor on Instagram, TikTok and also check out Commune Capital. Aside from Mikey's accounts being entertaining and informative, he really does care about giving people good advice and help answering any questions you might have. So definitely hit him up. If you like what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Share it wherever you're listening to it. Pass the good word. All of that makes a massive difference and I appreciate your support. You can find me at Pelosi and at Shared Ingredients. Till next time, stay rad and I'll see you soon. Yay!